Shine bright like a diamond. Find light in the beautiful sea. I choose to be happy. You and I were like diamonds in the sky. Those are lyrics to a song by Rihanna called Diamonds. And that song speaks to the theme for this month. In fact, the entire song, not just that part, the entire song with a few strategically changed lyrics, that's our anthem for April. And if you're unfamiliar with it, you will get to hear it with the changed lyrics later on this month. But why is it our April anthem? Because each and every one of us came into this life to shine bright like a diamond, to glow, to be ablaze with the brilliance of the divine shining forth as us. So I need you to know that today's talk is for you. It's yours. Let go of any baggage. Shake off anything heavy you might have carried in with you, whether you brought it in your hands or just with your thoughts. Put it all down for a while. Every last bit of it until you're clear of its weight. Now I want you to say, I am open. I am available. And I am ready. Now let's get started. This month, we're talking about the qualities that create a flawlessly shining gem of a life. And we're using the four C's standard of grading a diamond. That's clarity, cut, color, and carrot. And today we're talking about cut. And we've got some visual aids right here in the beginning to help things make sense. When a diamond or any gem comes out of the ground, it looks like this. It's beautiful and it's eye-catching, and it's captivating, and it seems almost magical, even though parts are rough, and there are bits of clouding and dark spots running throughout. But when a lapidary sees it, they see something completely different. They see the different hues the iridescence, the nuances of color that glimmer here and there, they see only the best, most perfect parts of the stone, and they know that cutting it allows the brilliance to come out. Now, help that make sense in a different way. You've all heard of Michelangelo, that guy? He was among the very first of the one-named legends in history, predating the likes of Cher and Madonna and Prince and even Rihanna by hundreds of years. Michelangelo was a Renaissance artist probably most famously known for his frescoes on the ceilings of the Sistine Chapel. 
But his works of painting, sculpture, and architecture rank among the most famous of all time. And that's a long time, so that's saying something. When asked about his art, however, Michelangelo adamantly insisted that he was a sculptor above all else. It was when speaking about one of his sculptures that he gives us the clarity to understand what I'm talking about here. He said, every block of stone has a statue inside of it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. I saw the angel in the marble, and I carved until I set him free. Or to the lapidary or diamond cutter, they see the jewel, and they cut away everything else until it's set free. And I'm going to let those be up there. Let's see if we can get some rainbows dancing through with the light of those prisms. Now, we can look at our lives in the same way. So my first point is the cuts help the light shine through. When a craftsman cuts a diamond, they're creating a shape, round, marquise, cushion cut, which I love and is getting popular again, all the different cuts, a diamond's cut or any stone's cut determines its brilliance. Marcel Toltowski, well, he was an engineer by occupation. He was a member of a Polish family of really well-known diamond cutters. In fact, they're still very well-known. And as part of his Ph.D. studies at the University of London, he created a mathematical formula that could cut the perfect proportions of a diamond for maximum value and brilliance with the least amount of waste. Tolkowski established what is now called the American Standard and is the diamond-cutting benchmark essentially worldwide. This formula changed the diamond game tremendously, giving lapidaries a precise blueprint to follow. And the course of time has led to even greater advancements, including the use of lasers to cut through diamonds, rather than being limited to the few tools which are able to cut through those gems with such precision. The cuts help the light shine through and create brilliance. The light was already there. It just needed to be uncovered. So what looks like a brutal process of cutting and chipping and grinding is actually helping reveal the brilliance. Stop and think about that for a minute. In many ways, life is shaping us with the people and events that come into our lives. Author Tamakeeves says something which really kind of says it all. Who you think you are 
is a belief to be undone. Now, if you're familiar with Tamakiv's work, you'll get the bigness of that. A key focus of her books is A Course in Miracles. And you may have heard me comment, or others for that matter, that, and although I love A Course in Miracles, I am hesitant to launch back into it again because it is well known for upending all logic and order in your life once you start putting it into practice. And I've got Nancy up here nodding her head. It really does a doozy to your belief. So basically, Tamakeeves has coined what should be the official slogan for A Course in Miracles. Who you think you are is a belief to be undone, and it's about to, I tell you. So let's look at these cuts in a different way. Everyone here is familiar with who Michael Beckwith is, right? Yep. For any of you who aren't, Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith is the senior minister at Agape Church right here in Los Angeles and is globally renowned for his many books, public speaking engagements, and especially his work in The Secret, which was both a film and a book. Before I go any further, let me just say that I'm not standing up here telling tales out of school, so to speak. Michael is very open about the story I'm about to tell you all, and he even spoke about it on the Oprah Winfrey show. Called Oprah. I know, I'm old enough that I remember it being the Oprah Winfrey show. Okay, so now that I've cleared that out of the way, boy, have I got some tea to spill. Did you know that the Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith put himself through college selling pot? And it's true. And he was good at it. Now, for context, marijuana was highly illegal back then in in the not-too-distant past, but that did not make it any less popular. Michael says, to uncover the expense of my recreational use, I began selling marijuana. What started as a modest cottage industry ended up with distribution in D.C., Atlanta, Nashville, New York, and Los Angeles. So while this business boom was happening, he began having reoccurring nightmares about being chased by three men. Every time he had the dream, the guys would get closer and closer, but he'd always wake up before they got him. Until he didn't. I mean, he woke up, but not until after they got him. He says, I struggled against my dream captors. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a small tent with hundreds of people I knew standing in line to get in. And I shouted to them for help. And they looked in my direction But one by one, they turned their backs to me. Suddenly, two of the men pinned me down while the third plunged a knife into my heart. The pain was excruciating. I screamed out 
and then I died. And then he woke up. And when he woke up from this dream he had died in, he saw the entire world around him differently. He had died to his littleness. Now, Michael, up to this point, was agnostic. So this was kind of big to him because he realized he was now in tune with a universal vibration that he called love beauty. That was his word for God. So here he was selling drugs, and he has this spiritual awakening, but nothing had changed in his day-to-day life other than his new awareness. So the universe created a cut in Michael's life, and he was arrested. But Michael's new awareness let him see that this was a natural part of the transformation that was happening. And so he was actually at peace when he showed up in court. And the judge looked at him and said, Young man, if I suspend this sentence, will I ever see you in court again? And without missing a beat, Michael replied, No, Your Honor, you won't. And with that, his sentence was suspended. And with the level of charges they could have hit him with, with that giant enterprise he had going, that in and of itself was a miracle. And as a result, Reverend Michael Beckwith's life changed for good that day when he left the drug life behind and started on the spiritual path we all know him so well for today. The cut in Reverend Michael's life had to happen in order for him to move forward. As we transform into the new, we must be in alignment with what exists in our life or it will leave. We have to let go of the old to make room for the new. So ask yourself, Are you holding on to something that the universe is trying to cut from your life? Are you ready to make room for the new? Ernest Holmes said, we should expand our thought until it realizes all good and then cut right through all that appears to be. And use this almighty power for definite purposes. And that brings me to my second point. That the cuts in your life are your apprenticeship in oneness. You are in a lifelong apprenticeship with oneness. That's your purpose. That's your mission. It can take many different forms, but it's what you are here for. An apprentice is one who learns from a master teacher. Your master teachers have and will continue to show up 
throughout your life in many, many forms. They can be family members, spouses, employers, co-workers, you name it, the random person in the store. Everyone who crosses your path throughout your life has an opportunity to mentor you in every conceivable way. So how do you, as an apprentice, meet each moment in top form? How do you ensure that you avail yourself of every little morsel of wisdom you can? Here's one way. It is something I actually learned right here as a student at Barnhart. And you've heard us talk about a spiritual mind treatment, right? Prayer. Here is the best way, as far as I'm concerned, to remember the five-step formula to kind of really maximize your oomph factor. You start with a fist, okay? God is all. I am one with God. Everything is okay, or what do I want? I give thanks and release. That's why the thumb is last, because you're letting it go. Getting to step two is the hardest. Realizing that immense power that's within us. You have to embody step two. I am one with God. Or the other steps don't matter. If you don't recognize your oneness with source, and therefore, here it is, therefore your oneness with all, you miss the boat completely. Anytime you other someone else, you're not practicing oneness. What do I mean when I say other? Othering, quote, I do this all the time now, never thought I would. But air quotes, othering, it is a term to describe an us versus them way of thinking about human connections and relationships. This process essentially involves looking at others and saying, well, they're not like me, or they're not one of us. It's an effect that influences how people perceive and treat those who are viewed as being part of the in-group in a positive way versus the negative way those who are seen as being a part of the out-group are treated. On an individual level, othering plays a role in the formation of prejudices against people in groups. But on the larger, potentially global scale, it can also play a role in the dehumanization of entire groups of people which can then be exploited to drive changes in institutions and governments and societies, and it can lead to the mistreatment of those marginalized groups, the denial of rights based on group identities, or even acts of violence against others. I'm pretty sure I don't need to point out the many, many examples of those events throughout society, and throughout all the years. Am I right? 
So othering can be thought of as the opposite of belonging, the opposite of oneness. Bhagavan Sri Rajneesh was an Indian godman, mystic, guru, and founder of the Rajneesh movement. And he's pretty controversial. And I'm also now told that um, Netflix has a show about him. I don't know what it's called, though, since I don't watch TV. But that's what they say. Anyhow, in one of his many public appearances, someone asked him, How do I stop judging others? Bhagavan smiled and said, You don't understand. All I see is me. All I see is me. I stumbled on an article in my internet spelunking. You've heard me call it that. That's what I call it when I follow a series of different links down kind of a digital rabbit hole, not knowing where I'll end up. And it's generally when I'm trying to figure out what I want to say up here. And honestly, I can't remember what it was about or who wrote it. But I did think it was important enough to take notes. So the notes are what you're going to get. And this is what's relevant. (laughs) The first note. You cannot offend an enlightened being. Wow. And yes, wow was in my notes um, with a whole lot of exclamation marks after it. You cannot offend an enlightened being. And that was followed by the only way that we will ever be able to live in a world where we are not bothered, when we are not offended, is to learn how to forgive all those who offend us. Therefore, whenever we're offended, we're being provided with an opportunity to learn how to forgive more readily and more fully. Consequently, the fastest way to become enlightened is to allow ourselves to be offended by everyone, then consistently forgive them until we are no longer offended by anyone. Whoa. I mean, lights out, Elvis has left the building. That was huge, right? Be offended by everyone and forgive them until nothing offends you. This is your apprenticeship. As long as we're harboring resentment, anger, or ill feelings toward anyone, we have work to do. We have a cut to make in ourselves. We cannot shine when unforgiveness dims our light. And that last note on the page leads me to my third point. If you can't forgive those who offend you, you have no right to speak of love. Think about that. That's a pretty confrontational statement, isn't it? If you can't forgive those who offend you, 
then how can you truly know love? Changes a little bit when you hear it that way, doesn't it? And that brings me to my, my, that third point, which is life will polish you whether you like it or not. It's gonna happen. You can choose not to learn from the polishing, but you're simply delaying the inevitable. At some point in my elementary school years here at Barnhart, I believe it was in Miss O'Dell's fourth grade class. Yeah, I remember. Um, She brought in a rock tumbler, and she took a handful of really ordinary-looking stones, and she threw them in the tumbler, and when she turned it on, there was this terrible racket as the rocks started bouncing around and around and around and around, and we got used to the noise until it became a soundtrack to our studies at that time. But then, after a period of several days, she turned it off and opened up the canister, and in that sudden, stark silence of the room, she revealed a handful of beautifully polished, colorful stones with no rough edges. Have you felt like you've been in a tumbler? Ever felt like life was just bouncing you around? The universe has shaken you to awaken you. What if the cuts in your life, those sometimes seemingly endless, turbulent times, what if they were there to help you? Now, most of you know my belief that personal politics have no place up here, and it's something I hold to. But I've got to tell you, this this next bit comes to you from New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, and it's the credo that he strives to live by. It says, when they criticize you, love them for teaching you humility. When they heap scorn upon you, love them for helping you discover your resiliency. When they doubt you, love them for giving your dreams greater courage. When they point out your faults, love them for their accuracy. When they wound you, love them for showing you your capacity to forgive. And when they try to stop you, love them for making your resolve even stronger. When they cast you into darkness, love them for helping you discover your inextinguishable light. And when you stand victorious, when your love has conquered the impossible challenge, invite them to stand with you so that they too can see love's power and possibility. That's some big and pretty specific stuff. It's kind of the roadmap. And here's more. 
How many of you have heard of an old Audrey Hepburn movie called A Nun's Story? It's from 1959. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It is based on the life of Belgian nun Marie-Louise Habette. In one scene, Audrey Hepburn's character, Sister Mary Luke, and her father go to the convent for her to begin her training as a nun, where they go talk with the mother superior. And after the mother superior walks away, her father says reverently, she's what's called a living rule. What's a living rule, Audrey asks. And her father replies, if this convent burned down today along with every other church in this city, as well as all the sacred scriptures, anyone could look at her and know by her actions what our spiritual principles are. I have thought of that so many times. I want to live my life so that I'm modeling these spiritual principles to the best of my ability. I've had conversations with that lady right down there so many times about just that. Could you be a living rule? Living rules exhibit the same love and light when things are going well as they do when they're not. No matter what tumbles life has for them, they shine. Here's what I know. I know that you promised to awaken in this lifetime. And the cuts in life that come your way are there to help you awaken, to guide your enlightenment. Remember, enlightenment means awakening. People, when they find out all of the the really wildly differing career paths I've followed, the talent opportunities I've just been handed, and kind of crazy random experiences I've encountered, and there have been many, many, many examples of those, many people have wondered how I've done so much, why I've decided over and over and over again to just pull up stops, and head in a completely unfamiliar direction. Why I've chosen to walk headfirst into situations many, if not most of us, because I've been in some hairy ones, situations that people would probably turn, tuck tail, and run from. And I never really had any kind of real answer to give until I sat down to write this. And the simple truth, and it is, it's just simple, is that I did it because that's where spirit told me to go. Without even actively knowing that was what I was doing, I trusted and I followed. People have said to me, you're brave. I don't think I'm brave as much as that I take my apprenticeship to oneness Seriously, my apprenticeship means that I'm willing to go where I'm led. My apprenticeship means that I trust and have always trusted, whether I knew it or not, I have trusted that spirit has a bigger idea for me and I can't wait to continue to find out what it is.
So where will your apprenticeship lead you? Wherever it takes you, I know that it'll lead to a bigger version of yourself. You are meant to be brilliant. You are meant to shine so that all can see. And the cuts in your life are there to help reveal the magnificence that is already you. You're meant to shine, my friends. So shine on. Thank you.